You're listening to How Do I Sponsor a Refugee, a podcast brought to you by MCC Saskatchewan. Welcome to episode seven of How Do I Sponsor a Refugee? My name's Mark. I work for Mennonite Central Committee in Saskatchewan as the Migration and Resettlement Coordinator, which means I help groups to resettle refugees. And I used to have, in my back garden in a previous life, a building that I built myself with some friends, with straw bale walls and with very carefully washed sheep's wool insulation of voluminous quantities That sounds lovely. (laughs) I'm Kate. I work at the University of Saskatchewan in healthcare education and simulation, essentially, for the most part, training well people how to pretend to be sick. And every Christmas, I participate in a gift exchange uh, that is uh, international and consists of a community of people who listen to a podcast based on dramatic interpretations of the Babysitter's Club books. We were talking just about the process of waiting for the refugees to come over and what that process is like and what you can do in the meantime. This time we're kind of taking a bigger step back, a bird's eye view on the refugee situation and talking about why are there so many refugees why you know we the kinds of questions that you get from folks who don't understand the refugee situation internationally will often just you know make uninformed comments about so many people coming into Canada oh my gosh there's so many people moving Mm -hmm. to Saskatoon where are they all coming from why are they coming so what is the larger context there okay there's lots of reasons why people move (laughs) And I think before we talk about refugees, we should probably talk about pushes and pulls. Sure. So people move for... Usually there's a mixture of push and pull Mm -hmm. to it. So a push can be there's been a revolution in your country and you're out of favour with the government. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get out. Uh, Or there's been a natural disaster in your community. Or there's a terrorist group that's after you. Or, you know, those, those types of things. Mm-hmm. A pull could be, well, I really want the sort of education that you can get in the University of Saskatchewan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I shall do everything I can to move to Canada. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, there's a job that I really want in Palau. Or wherever, Mm -hmm. so I will apply and move there. Or it could be, you know, I've met someone that is from this other country and I want to go and be with him or her. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's different reasons Mm -hmm. for people to move. And I guess when we're doing refugee work, we have to be clear that the primary reason, the overwhelming reason, is the push. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't mean that there isn't a pull. Right. You know, there could be real opportunities for people who are refugees if they come here. 
-hmm. and they could be supplying expertise that they have that is really needed here. Yeah. Or they could be learning the expertise very quickly mm -hmm. that, that is needed here. So, you know, it's, it's not to say these are desperate people we really got to help and they're poor little things. They're, yeah. You know, these, these tend to be pretty robust, yeah. <laughs> capable people because they've managed to, yeah. to survive in, in pretty awful conditions. Yeah. So refugees are people who have been pushed. But there's another thing that we have to concern ourselves with there, which is that you're only a refugee if you've crossed an international border. International law says that. So if you are internally displaced, as lots of people are in Afghanistan at the moment, lots of people are in, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo at the moment, lots of people are in South Sudan, lots of people are in Ethiopia... That's not something that we can help with on the refugee programme that we're working with. Right. That's something that can only really be helped by people working in the country. Okay. And you know, I'd like to put in a, a little plug here for my colleagues in many of those countries working with MCC, but mm. you know, obviously with other organisations as well who are enabling internally displaced people to, to have a better life than they would have done otherwise. Mm -hmm. But we're working with refugees. There are something over 80 million displaced, forcibly displaced people in the world at the moment. Mm -hmm. Of those, about 25 million are refugees, people who have crossed the borders. There's a number of countries that are producing refugees, if mm -hmm. I, that's not a very good yeah, way of like putting it. Yeah, it's not like an export, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, I mean, obviously, Afghanistan is one of the most recent ones, mm -hmm. and Ukraine now, at the time of, of recording, is fairly dramatically producing refugees, thanks to Mr. Putin. But for decades, we've had other countries mm -hmm. that people need to flee from. I mean, obviously, Syria mm -hmm. was, is an enormous one, the war that began in 2012, 2013, around then. And about a third of the population of Syria is still refugees in mm. Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, various other places. And about another third are internally displaced people. So it's, it's an awful situation still in Syria. There's a lot of people displaced from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where civil wars have been going on in, in very complex patterns for decades. South Sudan, a civil war breaks out and then there's a ceasefire and then it breaks out again and most recently Ethiopia with the war that started in uh, September 2020 um, mm. between the Tigrayan forces and the, the national government Eritrea next door to Ethiopia there's lots of people wanting to get out of Eritrea because it's mm. such an oppressive government and Somalia is another one where there are clans which are in opposition to each other for particular bits of land. Hmm. And so it's, there's a lot of places where you know, refugees are coming from. And we try at MCC to balance it out so that mm -hmm. it's not all Eritreans, it's not all Syrians. Last year's applications, we have some from the DRC, we have some from Burundi, we have some from uh, minorities in Ethiopia... 
uh, we have Syrians, we have Eritreans, we have Somalis. Other years we've sent in applications for minorities from Burma, where you know things are pretty awful for anybody who isn't Burma. Well, they're pretty awful for the Burmese, but they're even more awful for the minorities. So, yeah, I mean, we, we try to to get as many countries represented as as, as makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, given our criteria and given the the ability of people to support them when they get here. Right. A couple of the countries that you were mentioning, it seems like there are, you know, sometimes it's, there's a war right now and it's not safe for me mm-hmm. because I'm on the business end of the war or, you know, or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the minority in a situation or I'm from the community that's being oppressed. You know, so that's the reason for it. But there are, we were talking before we started recording about what a person will say, well, uh, this is my reason for being unhoused and for being displaced mm-hmm. out of my country. It's because I fear for my life. But there's a bigger picture, too, about what gets a community or a country to that place. Yeah. Resources yeah. and yeah. Uh, ethnic conflicts yeah. and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, the root causes are always complex. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, for the DRC, we can blame everything on the king of the Belgians that took it as his personal fiefdom back in the 19th century and treated people with, with absolute brutality. And, you know, things have not really improved under any regime since then. Hmm. But to take some of the other examples, I mean, Syria, we had loads of people coming from Syria back starting in 2015, 2016. And, you know, we're, we're still getting what we call the echo effect of, you know, they want to bring their families who, are, who right. they had to leave behind, you know, as refugees in Lebanon or in Turkey or wherever they are. Well, what happened there was that... They had a record drought over four years at the beginning of the last decade. Mm-hmm. And the farmers complained, and the government didn't help them. In fact, mm-hmm. the government basically told them, you know, just dig deeper wells. And you know, <laughs> the, the result of, of the policies that were imposed on the farmers was the, the land actually became more arid. Mm. And so, you know, what happened next was, you know, people in the urban areas found that the price of food obviously gone up and it was a lot more difficult to get. And you had farmers moving into the cities mm-hmm. because they couldn't make a living and everybody was unhappy. And so they started protesting against the government. Mm. And it being the sort of government it was, they were beaten up, they were shot, they were tortured in various ways. There was a resistance against that, which eventually turned violent. At some point, various Islamist, you know, militant groups got involved. And it it all became total violent, ugly, brutal mess as a result of that. Mm. Now, we could say it's all down to climate change because that record drought... For mm-hmm. four years, in from sort of 2010 to 2014, whatever it was, it's the sort of thing that is a lot more probable, given climate change, than you know if we hadn't been filling the atmosphere with more carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. 
But that also affected people in the east of Turkey. And hmm. there wasn't the same effect there because right. there, there were appropriate government actions in Turkey. Likewise in Jordan, likewise in Lebanon. So it's, it's, a, it's a mix of factors. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, a situation like a drought or like a change in resources or a change in regime and then how the leaders of that country respond to that and how the people respond kind of create all the different yes. factors. Yeah. So it's, it's a really complex thing to, mm -hmm. to talk about. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, I suppose, a kind of a parallel situation in Somalia. I mean, there's a lot of semi-nomadic herders in Somalia. It's that, that sort of territory is, is quite arid, so you, you have to move your, your animals around a lot so mm -hmm. they can find food. If the droughts that uh, had been happening every 10 years are now happening every six years, or they're happening every four years instead of every eight, eight years, then that increases the tensions where there are existing hostilities between right. clans. And I think that's important, this sort of where there are existing hostilities. Mm -hmm. Where people get on with each other, actually things can, can work quite positively in those, those situations, that they will work together to, to try to find solutions that work for everybody. Mm -hmm. But where they don't trust each other, things get inflamed. And, I mean, similar situations happened in South Sudan, where different herder groups have been competing for territory for some time. Mm -hmm. And there it's got inflamed because the oil industry is, is present in the country in a big way, you know, looking for places to drill. And they will pay whoever they need to pay to get into particular bits of land. Right. And whoever they have to pay could well be the local warlord <laughs> and so instead of going for each other with spears they go for each other with heavy firearms and tanks and whatever else that mm -hmm. they can now afford yes so these things are complex there's other cases where mining companies move into an area mm -hmm. they're only interested in what they can get out of the land mm-hmm there's not very much in the way of legal limitations, typically, just about anywhere in the world, on what mining corporations can do. Hmm. So if they pollute the land and it's no longer usable, where do people go? Right. They're displaced and They're then displaced. they show up in other people's yeah. villages, homes. Yeah. 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 And again, you know, I mean, again, in the, in the DRC, that's been part of the issue where, you know, different groups which don't trust each other have been armed and end up fighting each other and, you know, you end up with, with people needing to flee. So there's a lot of reasons yeah. why people are displaced. Yeah. And a lot of interrelations among those reasons. <laughs> We were talking in a previous episode about the potential inclusion of climate refugees mm -hmm. into these international definitions of refugees. So climate disasters or, or um, environmental disasters that happen as well are another one of those pushes with really complex reasons behind yeah. it. And, yeah. 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 So, I mean, if you've got cases where, you know, there's a, 
a hurricane or a massive storm or a cyclone, whatever, and people are driven out of their homes. In those circumstances, they will usually not move very far and they will move back as soon as they can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the more long-term issues of impacts of climate change, as I was saying, you know, if, if instead of a drought every 10 years, a drought every 5 years, every 3 years, every 2 years, you know, eventually that it just becomes unsustainable to stay. Yeah. And I mean, very often the initial response will be for one member of the family to go and get a job in the town mm-hmm. and you know, bring in money that way. And, you know, because people are attached to their land, but eventually people may be, may be driven off. It's a little bit more dramatic than that in, say, low-lying coastal areas or, or, or some low-lying islands mm-hmm. where it just becomes impossible. Yeah, there isn't a home. Anymore. There isn't a home. And so, you know, I mean, what we're finding in Bangladesh now is that as land is taken by, you know, a mixture of storm surge and sea rise... You know, some people are managing to find adaptive solutions by having floating gardens on, on the river. Yeah. But you still have to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people just have to move to the city. And so that's, that's become a bit complex. For the most part, they would be internally displaced, not refugees. I mean, we're not right. getting refugees from Bangladesh. But some of the Pacific Islands, you know, as salt water penetrates into the soil that where you're growing your crops, mm-hmm. it becomes unsustainable. And so, you know, we're looking at potentially whole nations having to move wholesale to New Zealand or Australia or wherever. So there is a move to create a category of climate refugee Mm -hmm. but again I think it's going to be really complex to define that yes yeah it's much easier to define when it's uh, bad guys yeah (laughs) right yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah so this time just to sum up our conversation basically talking about the root causes behind displacement why folks uh, become refugees and kind of a bit of the bigger picture behind that and um, what that situation looks like in a few different places internationally. And then next time, we're going to take a bit of a deeper dive into the root causes, uh, the push behind refugees becoming refugees, becoming displaced people, um, and uh, talk a, start moving the conversation towards what things we can do about it in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Well, Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Kate. Since Kate and I recorded this episode back in spring of 2022, there's one thing that needs to be updated as of November 2022, and I hope it's not going to need to be updated again too often because it's it's a pretty sad piece of information. The number of displaced people, according to UNHCR, has gone up from the 80 million or so that they were talking about previously to 
the latest figure I've seen is 103 million. That's largely a result of what's been happening in Afghanistan and Ukraine and Ethiopia, uh, but other places as well. So this really is a serious and worsening crisis that the world is facing. And every piece that we can do to help somebody who is impacted by it has got to be done. How Do I Sponsor a Refugee is a podcast of Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. All speakers are responsible for their own comments. We are grateful to Erin Brophy and Fletcher Forehand for providing the music.